Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Sport of Kings podcast. On this pod, we discuss the late pick five at Santa Anita on Monday, Malibu Day, December 26, 2022. This is show number 205, December 23rd, 2022. I'm Scott Carson, founder of Sport of Kings, and I'm joined by my co-host, Hall of Fame handicapper, Chris Larmy. Chris, are you ready for the holidays? Oh, yeah, we definitely had the wintry weather here right now, and I guess pretty much all across the country. If it hasn't hit you yet, it's probably headed your way. Um, And uh, definitely all ready for Christmas. And one of my favorite things about Christmas is actually the present you get the day after Christmas, which is the traditional opening day for the Santa Anita meeting. And those are the races that we'll be covering this week. So I'm really looking forward to that. I would have to agree that one of the best things about Christmas is the day after. And it's Malibu Day. And I will be on vacation with um, with a bunch of people. But I will have my phone with me and I will be playing the pick five. Sport of Kings Pod is brought to you by Horse Racing Nation and its First Timer Power Ratings Report, which ranks every debut runner in North America, provides an edge because the top ranked horses outperform both their off odds and their morning line. Get the First Timer Power Ratings Report at picks.horseracingnation.com. Support the Sport of Kings podcast by contributing to our Patreon page. Go to patreon.com slash sportofkings and donate as little as $3 per month. That's patreon.com slash sportofkings. Thank you for your support. And we have a special guest. He's a writer and analyst for the Daily Racing Forum, having covered Southern California for them since 1992. He's the author of Handicapping 101, Finding the Right Horses and Making the Right Bets. He's Brad Free. Brad, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for inviting me on today, guys. We got a lot to talk about on an exciting opening day card at Santa Anita. So, this is the type of card where you can't be bashful. It's this is a a good card to jump in on, and I'll be doing exactly that on Monday at Santa Anita. So, thanks for having me, and um, yeah, look forward to the conversation we're about to have. All right, Brad. Before we get started, I do want to compliment you as a great handicapper whose opinion I've always respected. And uh, in fact, I, I have to tell you about two horses that I really loved and got confirmation from you as the California guy. The first was Amazombie in the Breeders' Cup Sprint. <clears throat> I liked him, and you wrote a story about him and trainer Bill Spar that gave me the confidence to bet big. And I don't know when that was, but it had to be like pre-2010. And it, then the other... Yeah, it had to 
it had to be 20 years ago. It's funny you should bring up Amazabi. He's the only horse that I have a Breeders' Cup cap on my shelf behind, sitting behind me on my desk. So he's Spar, one of my favorite all-time trainers. Amazabi, a terrific top-class Breeders' Cup sprint winner. Awesome, awesome. And then the, the other horse was I'll Have Another in the 2012 Kentucky Derby. I really liked him. I know Chris really liked him. Um, but the final confirmation, and I didn't know this until like the day before the race because the day of the racing form had your picks blocked or something. Um, but final confirmation was you picking him in the racing form, and we got 15 to 1. So I, I still can't believe the price on that horse. He was a very, very good horse. Um, and, and he had to have been a good horse because Mario Gutierrez rode him to victory. So he had to be tons of that anyway. Um, I still can't believe that he, he went off at that. I, I expected him to be, you know, five to one, six to one, he went off at 15 to one. It was an incredible price. One of those rare occasions where you're, you're right about a long shot. Yeah. And in the biggest race of the year. For sure. Um, all right. Well, I, I could keep chatting with you all day, but I'm going to let Chris, uh, ask you a question or two, uh, if he has one, Chris. Yeah. Since you've been covering Southern California for quite a while, um, what are the biggest changes you've seen in the racing out there over the last few years compared to say 20 years ago or, or longer? Well, I would love to come up with a, a real optimistic answer to that question, Chris, but I can't. Um, so I'll just be brutally honest. The game is in trouble out here in California. There was a time when six-day-a-week racing was the norm at Del Mar, um, and five-day-a-week racing was, was normal at Santa Anita and Hollywood Park. But the game has shrunk in California. The management has little or no regard to horse players. And I, I can, as an evidence of that, just take a look at this ridiculous jackpot pick six scheme that they have instituted. Um, we're down to three day a week racing most of the year. Del Mar only runs four days a week now. Hollywood Park is closed. Bay Meadows is closed. Um, the game has diminished and the quality of racing also has shrunk. So those, those are some of the biggest changes, unfortunate changes that I've seen over the past 20 years. I remember back then when there was a, a one-day pick-six carryover, you would walk into, whether it be Santa Anita or Hollywood Park or Del Mar, and you could feel the electricity just as you walked through the gate. Everybody had an opinion. Everybody was putting in a ticket. Nowadays, the crowds are smaller. The, the jackpot scheme has ruined the best bet in California, and it's just not quite the same. The second change is more recent, and that has been the increased volume of grass races in California. And I, I don't think it's, that's a California-specific situation. California now runs as many or more races on turf as they do on on the main track and it did not used to be that way it used to be more like a you know 75 25 split um, but nowadays there are as many turf races more turf races actually at del mar and santa anita than there are on the main track so um fewer race dates a shift in the dynamics of the of the game from the main from dirt to turf are two of the biggest changes and as you guys know there's not as much stupid money in the pool anymore it, it has become increasingly difficult um to show a profit at the end, end of the year so uh, I, I i'd love to just paint some paint a rosy picture about everything 
But some of these challenges are they're just in they're in black and white. And those are some of the biggest changes that I've seen. Yeah, it's interesting. You bring up the pick six. You know, younger listeners won't probably won't even believe this, but I remember when they first started the pick six in Southern California. It was I it was I don't remember exactly in the timing on this, but it was right early on when they first started. And it, I went to Hollywood Park one Saturday. There was a carryover, and it was going to be like a million dollar pool. And I think there were like sixty thousand people went to the track that day. It was just a yeah. normal Saturday. It wasn't like a big day, but it was to chase that pick six. It was really, you know, back then, this was before there was a bunch of lotteries everywhere and casino gambling everywhere and, you know, sports wagering. It was like a really big deal, this chance to win a million dollars at the races. And, you know, that now there's no Hollywood Park and there's no normal carryovers in Southern California and there's no more 60,000 people going to the track on an, on a Saturday. But I, I remember that really vividly. I, it was just crazy how many people went that day to chase that. Well, it was an exciting time when you can, you, you know, take a shot to, to win a lot of money. One of the biggest scores that I ever had, I don't know if you guys heard this story or not, but I, I bet it, this happened maybe 10 years ago, maybe not quite as long. Uh, I bet a uh, pick six that co- paid cost twenty dollars. I went. <laughs> it was a silly wager, actually. In hindsight, I went five deep. It was a two dollar pick six. It was at Santa Anita on a carryover day. Five deep in the first leg, two deep in the second leg, and four consecutive singles. And uh, that twenty dollar pick six ticket ended up paying more than forty thousand dollars. So it, it's it's the type of wager, the pick six back in the old days where. If you had a good opinion on a good day, you could really make a lot of a lot of cash. So that was a, a lot of fun. Wow, four singles were they? Were they the last four? Yeah, they were the last four. Yeah, they were. <laughs> one of them was an eight to one shot on the morning line, um, and another one I want to say was somewhere in the five to one range. I don't have my charts in front of me. And then it, it actually ended with um, uh, back-to-back favorites. Uh, so I picked up a $30 horse in the first leg, I think a, a $7 horse in the n- next leg, a $15 horse, an $8 horse, and then back-to-back favorites on a carryover day. And it came back. It, it shouldn't have paid that much. It paid probably four times as much as I expected it to pay. Um, yeah, five by two by four singles. And um, the cool thing was the last race in the sequence the outcome was never in doubt. It was a last out maiden claiming sprint winner stretching out in a starter allowance. And he popped the gate, he opened up and he, I think he led by five lengths at every single call. And uh, that was, he was trained by the late Mike Mitchell. And it was, and that was a pretty fun day of racing out at Santa Anita. All right. Well, let's, let's uh, hope we have a, a fun day this Monday and um, we're going to start with the seventh race. It's the late pick five. It's an allowance of six and a half furlongs on the downhill turf. Purse of 72000 for California bred or sired Phillies mares, three-year-olds and up. And Brad is our guest. We'd love to have you get started. Well, this race will be run on a, a course that's my favorite race course in all of racing, in all of North America. It's six and a half furlongs down the hill and there's no other course like this in north america they come down the hill they make a right hand turn a big sweeping left hand turn cross the main track and into the stretch six and a half furlongs on the downhill and this is a, a course that is a, it's a horse for course 
type of layout. Horses who have run well in the past on this downhill turf course tend to run well again, but that's not going to help us out a whole lot in this spot because only three of these 12 Calbred Phillies mares have actually started in a downhill turf race, and none of them have won on the hill. Um, the favorite and my top selection is number eight, Big Beauty. Uh, but I th- look, I don't mind singling a favorite, betting a favorite um, at the right price, but there are some problems with Big Beauty. First of all, A, she's the best horse in the race. Okay, let's just acknowledge that. Her recent form is terrific. Five consecutive in-the-money finishes. Uh, she ran well on the hill, finished second on the hill during the fall meet at Santa Anita at this class level. And her numbers suggest that she is supposed to win this race. Here are the challenges for Big Beauty. First of all, trainer John Sadler, who did an outstanding job managing the campaign, the career of Flightline. If Sadler has lost with 13 of his last 14 favorites. Okay, so he's not exactly on a roll. Secondly, Big Beauty has a, a recent history of underperforming relative to her to her odds. She was six to five last time out, finished second. But the biggest challenge of all, as far as Big Beauty, who is my top choice and I believe the horse to beat, is this: the pace scenario in this six and a half furlong turf sprint is is murky at best. Um, numbers one, two, and three all have varying degrees of speed, but they're not exactly burners up on the front end. And Big Beauty needs some help up front to flatter her closing rally. I don't know that she's going to get it. So this is a, a race that kind of scares me a little bit um, with regards to my top selection, Big Beauty, be, just because of those aforementioned challenges, pace, um, Sadler not exactly rolling. I, I think that she'll probably, she's the horse most likely winner of this race, but I can't put all my eggs in one basket with regards to Big Beauty. I like her because her form is good. She's proven at the level and she's simply the fastest, best horse in the race, but she faces some challenges in this downhill sprint. So Big Beauty, my top selection, but guys, I will be going at least five deep in the pick five. All right. Yeah. One other negative on Big Beauty, even though she is the most likely winner, is that she will probably go off at under two to one. Chris, what are you thinking? Yeah, I agree with everything that Brad said, um, especially the murky pace. And that that's what led me to my pick in this race. And that is the five horse Lady Marianne. Um, I think she's the speed in here. I think they're going to send her. I really like the rider switch from Bayes to Frey. This trainer's only won one race in 87 tries, recent tries at Santa Anita, but that one win was with this horse. I thought her her turf races were pretty good. She goes back on the turf. I think they're going to send her. I think she can clear, and I think she's really dangerous at a big price. So uh, I'm all about the pace, and the horse I think that's going to take advantage of that is the five, Lady Marianne. She's 12 to 1 on the morning line. All right, I, I, I'm, I'm using both of your horses at, in some capacity. The horse I'm going to choose on top, believe it or not, is Eleuthera, who ran some good numbers earlier in the year, now comes in off of freshening, has a certain amount of speed, not that much, but you know enough to be close. Um, the trainer off a six-month layoff on turf, is uh, he's 0 for 5 in the last five years, 
but he has two thirds that were within two lengths. And one of them was at 32 to one with this jockey. And, um, I, I also am going deep in here, but I'm just making Eleuthera my best pick. Um, cause I think that, uh, she's probably going to be a price. She's only six to one morning line, but I expect her to go off a little higher than that. So, Brad, jump in with anything else you want to add. Yeah, um, th those are a couple of interesting selections, and uh, I wouldn't try to talk you guys off of either one of those. Um, I, now my ticket's gotten a lot more expensive after listening to you both, so thanks for that. Um, the couple of horses that I, I will be using in this race it include, you know, uh, Chris, you mentioned that Lady Marianne you see as potentially the speed of the field. That's one of the reasons why I'm going to be throwing a 15 to one shot onto my ticket. That's number three D's lovely Sophia. I think that she has enough speed to, if not make the lead, at least be forwardly placed setting or pressing a relatively tepid pace. And she has run well on the Hill third place finish, both starts. So uh, though she's a, a front runner pace pressure that I will be using. I'm also going to be using flame Magoon down on the inside. But um, again, this is a, this is a spread race for me. I was planning on only going five deep, but after listening to you guys, now I'm up, now I'm up to seven contenders in a 12 horse field. And I'm wondering if maybe the way to go is just mark the all box or something. I, I I'm, I'm really perplexed by this uh, Calbred sprint. Yeah, the D's lovely Sophia is interesting. If she could break alertly, she's dangerous. She's kind of been not so good out of the gate recently, which I usually is not a good sign for me. But you're right. If you look back at some of her races, if she were to somehow break alertly and get the lead, she could be dangerous and she'll be a big price. So I kind of like the way you're thinking there. Um, the other horse I was interested in here was the nine La Duzem. Etoile. I think that means second star, maybe in French. But anyway, <laughs> um, uh, she had a, a pretty terrible trip last time, and she gets, I think, a good rider switch to Frankie Dettori, who, um, you know, certainly knows how to ride and has lots of experience in the U.S. and even some experience down the hill at Santa Anita. So I like the rider switch. Um, she has a little more speed than Big Beauty, so maybe she can get the jump on on that one in terms of the you know the closers, and um, she'll probably be a better price. So you know, the nine horse La Duzeme, Duzeme, Etoile, I think is how you say that, um, is a, a interesting one. Depending on how they play that horse, it's kind of hard to tell how they'll bet that one. Probably. Yeah, I, I agree choice. with that. In fact, she's my second preference in the race. Um, she did have a bad trip last time out. She finished third. Uh, the runner-up, Carmen Miranda, came back to win her next start. Um, she get, gets a jockey change. I'm going to hold reserve judgment on Frankie Dettori, who everyone knows is one of the most prolific riders of all time in Europe. Do you know how many winners he's had at Santa Anita over the years? He's ridden seven winners at Santa Anita. So, uh, you know, uh, maybe he'll just come right in here and, you know, light up the light up everything. But I'm not I'm not convinced that Frankie Dettori's um, Santa Anita subsidized stay this winter on his the farewell tour is going to work out real well for people betting their money on his mount. So I'm going to I'm going to hold back judgment on Dettori's 
um, Santa Anita proficiency, recognizing he's one of the greatest jockeys of all time overseas. But um, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, keep my pom poms and cheerleading in check, at least for now, until I see him ride a couple races. Yeah, it probably makes sense because he'll get over bet probably initially. Yep. Although, you know, going from Mario Gutierrez to Frankie Dettori, I think regardless of huge change. how good Frank Frankie rides, it's a big change in riders. And, it's a huge and he, change, no he, doubt. He, he And he wasn't getting very good rides from him. I mean, not just his last, but his last couple were really bad trips. So, you know, True. even if you're right, and I think I kind of like the way you're thinking there from a price perspective, you know, Dettori may get over bet, especially early. Um, yeah. In this particular race, I think it, it's probably a pretty significant upgrade. No doubt. I agree. All right. I'm just going to mention a couple others that, uh, you know, this, <laughs> this race is insane. Um, but I kind of like the look of the line of True Patriot, who has a second on the hill and closed uh, in that race. It was a 12-horse field and got second at 7-2. to Um it uh, showed improvement in its second to last race, which was going six furlongs, so it wasn't on the hill, and then um, went two turns and didn't didn't really do much. Uh, you know, the horse is three for three in the exacta at Santa Anita and has a nice outside post. So, so I think that horse has a shot, and I also I'm a little interested in Dancing Dana, who is all the way outside and took the lead in her last race and um, I believe she's won on the lead before and um, I, I think she has a shot um, if, if she can run her best race which you know her last few races haven't been her best but um, uh, she's she's got figures in her past that if she can return to those as she returns sprinting she could also be a factor so just to murk it up a little bit more yeah, no, she's a contender. Dancing Dana, the outside post, actually, I, I consider that a positive coming down the hill. Um, you know, they, they don't have to, it, it's a weird configuration because they're making a right-hand turn, um, you know, a, a couple, for a long and a half out of the gate. So the outside post often can lead to a, a very comfortable trip. And she has enough tactical speed to be forwardly placed. She's run well fresh. And she's going to be a factor as well. And her price is, is worth throwing in. She's listed at eight to one. I agree with dancing Dana as a, you know, a, an upset candidate. Well, we narrowed it down for everybody. On this. <laughs> <laughs> All but yeah. not a, not a bad idea in this race. <laughs> I, and I have other horses I'm using that I'm just, I'm not mentioning cause I don't want to bog down the pod. Um, <laughs> let's move to the eighth race. The eighth race might be, have a little bit more clarity. It's the La Brea Stakes, a grade one, seven furlongs on dirt, purse of 300000 for three-year-old fillies. And Chris, your turn to get us started on this one. Well, you may have some clarity. To me, this race is like every single horse in here is competitive. Um, uh, it does seem wide open to me. Um, you know, Hot Peppers is going to be hot out of the gate. Uh, that's one given. I think we unless she just breaks really poorly. They actually passed up a race. I can't remember what it was, but they scratched out of that and said they were targeting this race, trying to go for the grade one. Um, I don't think she's going to win, but if 
somehow she can clear. Maybe she could hold on. I do think of the four Bafferts, he's going to send at least one after her. So my thinking is it should be pretty honest to hot pace for seven furlongs, which could set it up for somebody to come from a little out of it. Um, I ended up landing on one of the longer shots on the board in here, um, the eight horse awake at midnight. Um, not a big fan of the rider, but he rides for these connections all the time and, and dirt sprints. If I'm going to play Mario Gutierrez, it would be in a dirt sprint probably. Um, this horse I just think is a better sprinter than router. And uh, she's the connections tend to take shots and try different things. And, you know, she, I, I just think was completely overmatched last time out in the Breeders Cup. She didn't have much of a trip there either. Um, but if you look back at her sprints, they're all really good, including her one earlier uh, off the layoff this summer where she actually beat one of the Baffert Horts Fun to Dream. Um, now the cutback makes a lot of sense. I think the outside post will help her out. And, you know, she can get whatever position she wants. She's got some tactical speed, but you know, I, I expect her to be pretty far off that hot early pace. But I think, um, you know, she makes a lot of sense. She looks as good as just about anybody else in the race, and she'll be one of the bigger prices. So I'm going to go with the eight, Awake at Midnight. Awake at Midnight, two for seven on Faster, and three for three in the exact at Santa Anita. Brad, what are you thinking? Well, first of all, I think that Chris is, is has identified a live contender in the La Brea. There's no doubt about it that Awake at Midnight is better around one turn than she is around two. And she really had no business in the Breeders' Cup Distaff. She's 66 to one. These connections will take a shot occasionally, and they don't really care about the price. But Awake at Midnight's best races have been around one turn. She did defeat Fun to Dream three starts back. In fact, she gave another Baffert trainee under the stars all, a, a battle um, early this year in the Santa Ynez stake. So uh, Awaken Mid, I'm, what I'm saying is I'm endorsing Chris's um, long shot selection. Baffert has four horses in this race. Under the Stars, Ganadora, Midnight Memories, and Fun to Dream. And you're right about the pace scenario. Hot Peppers, I give very little chance to win this race for a couple reasons. A, I don't think that Seven Furlongs is her trip. And B, she's got Ganadora, Baffert trained Ganadora, another front runner right to her outside and when Baffert has multiple horses in the race oftentimes one of them is the suicidal rabbit and that could be the case with Ganador. they're not going to give hot peppers the lead Ganador is going to go after her the pace should be legitimate and i think this race actually does set up for a comfort behind her i like the filly that awake at midnight has already defeated and that's number six Fun to dream. She's a cowbred by Arrogate. You don't see that very often. Um, this is a really, really good filly. She's four for five. And all, all she did last time was win a little minor cowbred stakes race by a head. But that race was a whole lot better than it looks on paper. First of all, she got banged around at the break and kind of lost early position. And the runner-up, I'm uh, Tammy the Tiger, ran the race of her career and kind of came out and bumped uh, fun to dream late in the stretch fun to dream gutted it out she earned an 85 buyer not a great number but here's the thing Baffert does not tighten the screws on these horses for every single race I think that he may have undertrained fun to dream into the Betty Grable recognizing that he didn't have to have her cranked 100 percent 
to win a Calbred Stakes race in which she's the odds-on favorite. But look at her recent work tab since then. This is this is the race, the most important race that Fun to Dream will run in. It's a great, probably for most of these fillies, actually. It's a grade one, and there will be no, there's no fooling around, there's no fiddling around. These horses are cranked. These Baffert-trained horses, at least, are cranked. And if the pace is legitimate, like it should be, and if Fun to Dream runs as well as she has trained lately, and she's two for two over to the Sanity to racetrack. I think this race sets up perfectly for her. I believe that she has a lot of upside. I know that she's got a fairly significant margin to um, narrow between her and Awake at Midnight. Awake at Midnight beat her by nearly four lengths. But Fun to Dream is coming into this race the right way. I like her price at five to one. I respect Midnight Memories, the most accomplished horse in the field, and even Under the Stars, the other ba- another Bafford. But this race to me unfolds perfectly for an off the pace gray, and that's fun to dream at five to one. And I, I'm strongly considering her as a single in a wide open, uh, otherwise wide open race. By the way, the La Brea, this race has a history of significant upsets. The last seven odds on favorites to run in the La Brea, all lost. Um, some, of the, some of the recent winners of this race, in fact, over the last decade, listen to these prices over the last decade, 19, 43, 25, 27, 23, 25, 28, and 35. Those are $2 win prices for the La Brea, La Brea winners over the past decade. It's a race to go shopping for a price. I'm taking five to one on fun to dream. All right, I like it, and I gave that horse a really uh, good look. I'm actually here. I'm I'm going to go with the favorite, and that is Midnight Memories. She's four for four when not fractious at the gate. Shows a notably best workout since her last race, so the cranking is happening with her too. She has a running style to sit just off the pace, can sweep by and blitz these. In her last, she stumbled at the start, then was bumped hard. She still won easily and extended on the gallop out. She is a stone-cold single for me. Um, I, I hope that uh, people go deep in this race because I'm singling Midnight Memories. I don't, I don't blame you for that at all, and I hope people go deep as well. I don't want to go deep because if you start going deep here, then you have to use the four Bavers, and then you also have to use Wake at Midnight, and then you also have to use Ain't Easy, who's coming back into form second star back from the layoff and reunited with Joel Rosario. So, I mean, you could reasonably make a case for six of the eight runners in this field. I don't want to go six deep in an eight horse field when the horse that I like is sitting up there at a big fat five to one, but Scott, I like midnight memories. I respect her as the best horse in the race, the most qualified. And if there's a way that I can, you know, play a backup ticket, she will be my backup um, in a La Brea. Yeah, I think, you know, the Baffert horses are tough. I agree with Brad of the Bafferts. I like fun to dream. It's the, probably the best price of the four. So, um, and I, I just, everything he said, I agree with him. One thing I just noticed kind of in general, not so much in this race, but um, a lot of times on our podcast, we talk about how like three-year-old Colts, especially the ones that are you know, trying the, the two-turn races and you know, on the Triple Crown Trail and stuff, how they really improve significantly from two to three and even from early three-year-old to later in the year. Um, kind of on the opposite end of that spectrum are these 
uh, sprinting fillies, the fast fillies, um, they typically are very precocious and it's not unusual at all for them to, you know, their first or second race to run as fast or faster than they ever run again in their career. And if you look at this race, um, you can kind of see a lot of those same sort of horses. They, you know, in their first or second race, they ran really fast and they really haven't run any faster since then. Uh, um, I'm not sure that helps you pick the winner in this race in particular, but you just don't, I wouldn't anticipate a big forward move like you might with three-year-old Colts um, with these. I think you pretty much know what you've got and it's going to be more of, you know, how the, the trips and the pace that determine who wins. So I just thought I'd throw that out there because we talk a lot a bit about these longer term patterns and how horses improve over time. And, and there's a, there's a big contrast depending on the sex and the running style and stuff. And these, these, types right here, these three-year-old fillies, dirt sprinters, especially the really fast ones, they tend to be precocious and not ever really develop much. It's kind of unusual to see them really improve um, with age like you would see with the three-year-old colts. That's actually a, a very valid point. And there are at least three of those in this field. I think you could, you know, I think you might be describing under the stars ain't easy and awake at midnight. They all ran relatively fast early in their career. Their progress seems to have kind of stalled and, uh, you know, just maintained of late. So that's a very, very interesting, valid point uh, that you bring up, no doubt. All right, let's try the ninth race. It's an allowance, a mile and eighth on the turf, purse of 72,000 for Phillies mares, three-year-olds and up. Brad, what are you thinking? Well, what I'm thinking is that this race is very similar to the first leg in the pick five, and in that it's a wide open grass race. And we have a field of 14 entered, 12 will run. They're going a mile and one eighth. It's an entry level allowance. And boy, you could make a case for a lot of horses in here. I like a five to one shot. Number six, Batya ran very well last time out at Del Mar. It was her West Coast debut. She's a lightly raced four-year-old. It was only the sixth start of her career. She had a little bit of trouble early under Drayden Van Dyke. She finished well. She ran her final 516th in 29.13. Any final, any final 516th under 30 seconds is noteworthy. And now she's making her second start back. The two of the horses who ran in that race, the only two horses who ran back from that allowance race, both won their next start. So it was a live race. And here's another situation where you get a massive jockey change from Drayden Van Dyke to Johnny Velasquez. And that speaks volumes right there. She's, she's has room to improve in only her seventh career start. I know she's a four-year-old filly, but she hasn't had a whole lot of chances and she will be running late. Now here's the dilemma is the pace scenario going to be quick enough to flatter her closing rally. And I think a lot of that will depend on whether number 14 on a glossa gets into the field from the also eligible list, how fast number 10 leisure wear goes up on the front end, because a lot of times in these long distance grass races, a mile and one eighth, somebody gets out on the lead, slows it down, gets comfortable and keeps on running. And the closers just have too much to do rallying from behind a tepid pace. So I have to wait for the final scratches before analyzing the pace scenario. Um, but I like to come from behind her Batya, a long shot that I want to put on my ticket that I, I'm not sure if she's good enough. It took her 13 tries to final, finally break her maiden. 
But number 10, Leisure Wear, maybe the light bulb finally went on, and I know where she will be positioned. She's going to be either on or near the front end in a race that potentially could unfold at a modest tempo. Um, Long-winded way of saying I like Batya, but I have concerns regarding her running style coming from off the pace in this mile and one-eighth race. But number six, Batya at five to one, my top choice. Okay, uh, now I I believe I heard Larry Colmus call that horse Batia, so okay. he's he's pretty he's pretty uh, 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 particular about his pronunciation. So 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna default to, to him. Uh, but Batia, uh, five to one out of Pioneer of the Ni- by Pioneer of the Nile, out of a Medalliador Omer. Chris, what are you thinking? Well, and also trained by Graham Motion, whose horses have pretty consistently run well that, that he's run out at, at in California so far this year. So that's another plus on his side or her side. Um this race, I, you know, I kind of, I was trying to make cases for other horses, but I, I really think ballet dancing is the best horse by far in here. She's had just one miserable trip after another. I mean, just one after another, after another. So you start to think maybe this horse just causes its own problems, but it, it's only run, you know, what, six races. So it, it still has a chance to improve. It's only a three-year-old with upside. And it's a, one of these switches to the Tory, um, you know, may get over bet because of that. But I, I think this is the kind of horse where he definitely should excel when he, if he's going to ride in California are these two turn longer races with horses that can, can come from out of it. So, you know, I just think ballet dancing could lay over this field if she ever gets a good trip. Now that's a, that's an if, and if they bet her down, because of the Tory or just because they think, you know, she's the best horse, although she hasn't won in a while, um, then I wouldn't be recommending her as a win bet, but I'm going to lean on her pretty heavily in the pick five and, and, and this big field, um, you might, that might, there might be some value there. So I'm going to go with three ballet dancing as the pick here at four to one in the morning line. Okay, well, I, I I jumped all over. I looked at I looked at ballet dancing. I looked at Batia, uh, and I think they have shots. And but I and I don't have a strong opinion on this race. It's a question of like how many am I going to use? And I'll probably use your two because because you two like the horses. Um, but the horse that I have on top is almost a factor. Uh, has been racing into shape. In her last, she was bumped soundly at the start and closed well, although with a very easy rail trip, she did gallop out best. And I thought it was a, 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 a pretty impressive effort considering that big bump. And uh, it was a react. She reacted, you know, besides that, she reacted to uh, a, a pretty solid race in her previous race. Uh, so I think that horse has a long shot chance. And then I wouldn't normally take a James Cassidy second-time starter because he's only like one for 36 with second-time starters. But uh, Precious Baby, I thought, ran very well in that last in, in her debut. She broke from the outside, got a nice three-wide trip, contested solid fractions, galloped out well, 
the sire was a grade one winner at a mile and an eighth on the turf. Uh, I think that she might take the lead. I'd, I'd be worried about leisure wear, maybe um, heating it up a little bit, but I like that she contested a pretty solid pace in her last race, and, and now she gets an inside post. So, you know, maybe she can do it a second time. Scott, that's an interesting long shot, Precious Baby. You know, the two pace rivals that she had to put away were a pair of 99 to one shots that finished seventh and ninth in that race. So precious baby had to do some work on the front end to keep on going. And, you know, it's funny. Yeah, it's true that Cassidy doesn't win very often with, you know, uh, last out maiden winners, but how often does he win with first time starters in a, at a route of ground? Probably never precious baby did that. Not only that precious baby actually has a little bit of pedigree um, in her corner. She's a, I think she's a sibling to a stakes winning Philly, but yeah, she is uh, by the name of Tom's regret. Who was a, uh, she's a full sister to Tom's regret who won the uh, Kentucky juvenile in uh, early this year, actually back at Churchill downs. So that's an interesting selection. It's she's lightly raced, obviously. Um, I guess my question with her is I wonder why Cassidy couldn't find a cowbred race to go back in as opposed to trying open company right off the bat, but she's, she has a future. She has a pedigree. She has a running style that suggests she can be a factor in, in what looks like a wide open race. 12 to one's not a bad number. Yeah, I, um, I, I kind of share the opinion that I, I I have a feeling that the pace might be at least honest and and precious baby is a key part of that. But if if either she or the one that you mentioned, Brad Leisure, where if the one of them you know gets gets out there and can set you know uh, you know relaxed early pace, they could be dangerous and they'll both be big prices. So those are the kind you might want to include. The the other horse I like other than ballet dancing in here. And I almost made it my top pick just based on price, but I couldn't, I just decided ballet dancing looked too good. Was the five horse urban fairy tale. This is an older horse, but it's in really good form, I think. And it had a, a local debut, which wasn't too bad. Um, it shipped in, joined the pipey barn, I think. And um, now it gets a second local start. And I think, it certainly is good enough to win, especially if ballet dancing, you know, has another trouble trip. I think it's as good or better than anybody else in the race. So at, at eight to one, there's, there seems like there's some value there in the five urban fairy tale. Guys, I just want to mention one other horse in this field only because she happens to be my second preference in the race. And that's number 12, Karakatsi, who ran a lot better than the line shows last time out was forwardly placed in a similar one other than at this distance at Del Mar. And she was in the hunt all the way until deep stretch. The one, two finishers in that race rallied from last and second to last. So Karakati to finish fourth after pressing the pace, it looks like a slow pace on paper, but the, the one, two finishers came from the back. So Karakati had the race flow against her and still ran well. She gets a rider switch to Rosario. I think she's a contender as well. This is a, we could probably, you know, talk about this race for another half hour and maybe we would come up with a winner, but I'm going to be using Karakatsi uh, along with uh, Batia number six as uh, my top choice. Yeah. I'm going to have a hard time keeping Karakatsi off, off the, uh, uh, off the ticket. Um, the, 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 the wide post does concern me, but um 
does have some back numbers. Yeah, I don't think the I don't think the post position is is really going to compromise her chances. And here's why: it's a mile and one eighth grass race. Uh, there, there's a long run to the first turn. There's an entire stretch in which Rosario should be able to get over. It's not like they're going a mile and breaking right on top of the turn. There's a good long run before they bend left. And I think that, you know, Rosario, you never know what you're going to get with that jockey, but when he does put up a good ride, he can look like a, a, a future Hall of Famer. Um, I don't, the post position won't get her beat. Just a question of whether or not she's good enough. Okay, we'll move to the marquee race of the day. It's the 10th, the Run Happy Malibu, grade one, seven furlongs on dirt, versus 300,000 for three-year-olds. Chris, what would you, where did you land in this race? Uh, good question. I mean, clearly Taba is the best horse in the race. Um, it does seem like kind of an extreme cutback from a mile and a quarter to seven furlongs so i think that's a bit of a question mark and it's not like i think he's been a horse that's a sprinter and they just been trying you know chasing you know big races and big purses as a three-year-old going longer i i really do think he's a route horse so um but this is a grade one and i do think they're trying to build his resume as a potential champion three-year-old you know, I think he's the best three-year-old, but I don't think he has any chance to win the Eclipse Award, even if he wins this race, just because they're not going to vote for, for those connections to win the Eclipse. Um, not this year, anyway. Um, so, you know, he's the one to beat, but I do think there's some question marks with the distance. And Mike Smith riding, this is a horse you got to kind of, you know, he can be lazy and go in seven furlongs. You can't afford to fall too far back. Um so he's going to have to be pedaling on this horse from the start. I, I don't know if he's going to do that, but we'll see. Um, clearly the best horse, probably going to get a wide trip, probably going to win. And and I've you know been touting him as the best three-year-old since early on this year. So I'm, I, I, I think he's the one to beat, but he's not the one to bet in here at the price for sure. Um, I, I'll You can make a case for several others, but I landed on a, a – Real long shot in here um, because I do think of the, there's questions on the favorites. Um, I went with the long shot, and that's the five horse hoist the gold. Um, he has not won a race in a while, but he's run a lot of solid second and third place finishes at distances a little bit shorter against good horses like Gunite and um, Elite Power. So, you know, he's been running with some good horses. I typically don't like the East Coast sprinters heading to the West. Um, but it's the front runners that I like to fade because they're just, they typically can't handle the heat out West. Um, this horse is actually one that stocks. And I think he might actually benefit from shipping out West where the, the pace will be more solid. I think he's going to appreciate the seven furlong distance. And I think he's going to really benefit from Joel Rosario, who... I agree with Brad, you know, you sometimes you can get Rosario'd, but you know, he's definitely really good when he's on and for dirt sprinters that come from off the pace, he's probably the best um, there is. And uh, that's what he's going to do with this horse. So I, I really like Hoist the Gold's a long shot. He might not win it, but I think he's the kind that could definitely hit the board at the big price. 
And keep in mind, you know, these grade ones, especially for the um, the Colts, you know, black type, even second or third is a big deal. And some of them might even run, race, try to just hit the board in this grade one um, to build the resume. So uh, I'm going to go with the five, hoist the gold, stock and pounce, hope that Taba doesn't, uh, you know, gets a wide trip, maybe falls a little too far back and... Um, some of the other favorites have you know, reasons that you can fade them and hoist the gold pulls off a shocker. So um, I know this is a race that the favorites do well in, sort of the opposite of what Brad said on the um, La Brea, the sister to this one. But I'm going to go for the, the bomber in here with hoist the gold. All right, hoist the gold second as a two-year-old to Jack Christopher and Cyberknife. Brad, can you beat Taba? I'm not even going to try to beat Taba. I, I think that Taba is, he towers so far above this field that I, I'll be surprised if he loses. Now, there's no such thing as a slam dunk in racing. We all know that. But the, the Malibu has been a formful race over the years. The last 12 winners, nine of them were the first or second choice in the race. And although Chris makes a valid uh, point of concern regarding shortening from a mile and a quarter to seven eighths, McKenzie did it four years ago. He shortened up from the Breeders' Cup Classic to win the Malibu. Uh, in 2014, Shared Belief shortened from the Breeders' Cup Classic to win the Malibu. Um, this is a race. It's a sprint race. And in, in sprint races, class is not the most important factor. But the Malibu is an exception to that. Uh, this is a race in which the best horses often win. And by best horses, I mean horses that have competed against top company and run well in fact over the last 10 years or 11 years actually there were seven horses that were coming out of breeders cup races that won the malibu stake so Taba third in the breeders cup classic and i, I do agree with chris regarding uh, who's the best three-year-old in the of the year it's Taba. um and i also unfortunately agree that he has no chance to win the eclipse award even though a win in the malibu would be his third grade one victory of the year compared to epicenter not to knock epicenter at all but he only won one grade one and Taba did finish in front of him in the Breeders' Cup, I know that Epicenter finished in front of Taba in the Kentucky Derby. But anyway, Taba is just a good a good horse. Pennsylvania Derby winner in September. Santa Anita Derby winner in April in only the second start of his career. And and this horse, has tra he used to be a, a lazy workhorse in the morning, and he did not like to take dirt in the afternoon. He worked head-in-head -head on uh, Monday with Under the Stars, and they worked as a team and they went 59 and three and they whistled around there. Baffert told me I was standing right next to Baffert when Taba worked and Taba works only as fast as his workmate does. He said, that'll sharpen his speed. And he, the reason why he worked that horse in company Taba with the good Billy is to do exactly that, to sharpen Taba's speed for this cutback to seven furlongs. You know, I, I'm I'm going to single the six to five favorite, so it's not all that creative. I do want to say one thing about this race. If I'm blown out of the pick uh, five uh, going into the Malibu, I will be betting Taba in the exacta with two long shots. One of them is Chris's choice, hoist the gold at 12 to one, and the other one is the second Dallas Stewart trainee at 15 to one, and that's number eight Strava. I just don't like the rest of this field. 
Hoist the Gold and Strava will both be outrun early. They'll be rolling late. The pace will be blistering because of Forbidden Kingdom. I think Taba wins this race. I look for Hoist the Gold or Strava, Strava to come along and complete the exacta. But to me, Taba is a, a complete and total standout. I know it's not all that imaginative. He's six to five. I expect him to win the race. That's it. <clears throat> okay. Well, I'm going to throw another horse into the mix. Uh, I haven't decided what to do with Taba, but um, uh, one one thing that I may do is have a pick five where if Midnight Memories does not win, uh, it uh, I could have Taba, could have Taba and Midnight Memories not on the same ticket. Um, but the horse that I ended at landing on re- reluctantly, but, um, you know, just to, just to mix it up is Nakatomi. The horse was fast as a two-year-old, just ran his best race ever there. He was at Keeneland in a 12 horse. I think it was a 12 horse field. He closed from the inside in a big field and he galloped out. Well, he's always been fast. He's almost fast enough to win this. He's probably going to be overlooked he's probably going to be higher than that 10 to 1 and he gets four pounds from Taba and I think if he gets that nice inside trip again uh and Taba you know ends out going a little bit wide with that extra four pounds I think Nakatomi could pull off the upset not only that Scott but the runner-up the, the horse that he beat last time out endorsed uh returned I think it was this week at Gulfstream Park to win a pretty competitive allowance race. So he beat a good horse, uh, Nakatomi did last time out. He's lightly raced, getting better. I, 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 he's my second preference in the race. Um, not that that matters because I'm only going one deep, but you're on a good horse. Let me put it to you that way. But Brad and Scott, I mean, Scott, you said you think he, he could get overlooked. I think the 10 to 1 line on the morning line is just way too high. I think he could be it the is. second choice in the race. Uh, he, I think you know, he's going to be really, the third choice behind uh, Forbidden Kingdom. But, yeah, he, he won't be 10 to 1. We know that. Yeah, I don't know where that came from. To me, that's just way off. Um, that was the one. The rest of the morning line. I mean, it was, was an optional and it was an optional claimer. You know, the, the, the most he's won is a non-graded stake. Uh, you, know, I, you know, to me, it looks like he's going to be a price, but. Uh, I mean, I, I just don't, I, I, I'm not sure why they would bet him. I mean, he's his, well, his because best. his numbers, his thoroughgraph numbers are arguably the second second best in the field. He has a series of twos and two and a halves, and that ranks him among one of the fastest recent horses in the field. So, I mean, I think you're kind of like you know somewhere in the six, seven, eight to one range with Nakatomi. Okay. Well, um, what do you think that? Tape is going to go off at. Is he going to be two to five? Is he going to be, you know, what, what, what do you think, Brad? No, I, I, I think that, feeling... uh, I think that John White laid a pretty good morning line. I mean, I can see him around even money, um, you know, for, for reasons uh, along the lines of what you already, you know, your concerns about the, the cutback to from a mile and a quarter to seven furlongs. Um, you know, I know he doesn't always run to a like, that's true. And there are other good horses in this field. So, I mean, I think he's going to be flirting with even money. I don't see him being in the range of flight line a year ago, who was two to five in a small field, but I, I can see Taba at even money. He could even dip down to four to five, but 
boy, if he does that, then you're looking at some big numbers on some very good horses in this large field. So with nine runners, um, I, I would guess that six to five even money is going to probably be the ballpark where table will end up. Yeah, because yeah. that's probably what's going to drive drive the price um, on Nakatomi yeah. and others is how much they bet Taba. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Taba's like three to five at the highest. I mean, he he's he's got six figures, and one of them, the Kentucky Derby, is under a hundred buyer. I mean, yeah, they're going to crush. They're going to pound this horse. Who, who no, nobody even on this call has uh, has has picked Forbidden Kingdom, who's the three to one second choice, and his best yeah. buyer is a ninety nine. I know he his his price is going to go up. I think uh, Forbidden Kingdom. Here's a here's a very curious situation with regards to Forbidden Kingdom. Let me ask you: Why would in the world would the connections of Straight No Chaser, number nine, Straight No Chaser, a one-dimensional front runner owned by MyRacehorse.com and eligible to a two other than allowance, why would you put Straight No Chaser in the same race? with graded stakes winner Forbidden Kingdom, knowing the possibility that these two are going to go head and head and just cancel each other right out. To me, the placement of straight no chaser in the Malibu stakes is one of the most mysterious moves by man ownership management that I have ever seen. And I just don't understand the reasoning behind straight no chasers participation with a with the likelihood of a pace duel with his uh, co-owned Forbidden Kingdom, maybe maybe it's because they're owned by like hundreds of uh, hundreds of owners, <laughs> and they came up with a a communal decision. <laughs> yeah, well, they're gonna they're gonna have a, a few hundred less owners if they keep on managing horses like this. But it does seem like you know Messier is in the race to go with. Forbidden Kingdom. I mean, even if Straight No Chaser wasn't in there, that he his job will be to make sure Forbidden Kingdom doesn't get loose. I would think, um, in here, and uh, I actually like Messier quite a bit. Um, I thought, you know, he really is a sprinter, and that the cutback was exactly what he was looking for, and that he could be a dominant sprinter going forward. But then he bled in his last race, so you know that. That makes me really nervous. Now, maybe running at home, you know, coming out of his own barn, not having to ship and all that, maybe there'll be a lot less stress and he doesn't bleed in here. If he doesn't, I think he's the biggest threat to his stable mate. Um, but, uh, you know, that 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 could, you know, if he's a bleeder and he it, that's going to kind of put a, a kink in any plans to run him in big sprint races going forward. Well, yeah, that, that's a valid concern. I asked Baffert exactly that question this week, and he said, look, I think it was just a one-time deal. He's worked back since then four times, has not bled in any of those workouts, so Baffert is chalking it up as a one-off. But you're right about his running style. He should be forwardly placed. I, I don't think anybody can keep up with Forbidden Kingdom anyway, um, but Messier's participation certainly ensures that the pace of the Malibu will be legitimate. Yeah, I'm 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 absolutely using Messier, and there's a couple of reasons. He's got some really solid numbers uh, as a two-year-old, as a young three-year-old, and his last two races. You know, one reason why I tossed him from the Kentucky Derby was the van walk-off. He, he just did not he did not look like he he wanted to ship. When he got off that van, he 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 was di uh, disoriented, and 
you know, the, the Keeneland race, I, I know he bled, but like, I, I wasn't interested in him in that race either because he seemed like a California horse and, you know, now he's back in California and he's going to be a price. And, you know, if you look at his big wins, you know, the, the Bob Hope, a grade, you know, um, seven furlongs at Del Mar, he was just off a, a torrid pace and, and he was three and a half lengths ahead of Forbidden Kingdom at the end. So, you know, I think he's got a great shot and I would use him as well as, uh, as Nakatomi. Well, I actually thought his derby was really good. I think he's, first of all, he's not a mile and a quarter horse, but he made a move and got the lead at the mile marker um, in that race that had that incredibly torrid pace. I mean, and there was no way he was going to hang on and they didn't persevere late, but he was the one that actually made the move into the, and got the lead at, you know, after a mile in that race. So I, and, and you look at that race and how many horses that, you know, came back and ran well out of that, that had, you know, got tired late. So I, I just thought Messier, even that race, you know, it looks terrible in the finish, but I thought that was a good race. And it's just a sprinter that was trying the derby out and he ran his heart out and, and got beat. So, you know, I, I, I think he's a lot of talent there, but the bleeding bothers me. And, you know, uh, that, that if if he hadn't bled, you know, let's say he was just coming in off fresh off of the the layoff like he was in that race at Keelan, I would be picking him in here. The fact that he bled in his last race really makes me nervous because he was training lights out. He was crushing Taba. Now we know Taba's not a great workhorse, but he was way out working Taba um, leading up to that race um, on Breeders' Cup Day and. So, you know, the fact he's training well now is great, but he was training well heading into that race, too. So I'm just a little nervous about the bleeding. I'll be real interesting to see because, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he does run well. If he does, he could be a really, really good sprinter miler next year. I mean, he, he's only had Lasix once. So as Bafford said in the interview with Brad Free, uh, in, in the in the DRF story that I that I read, you know, he, he's run plenty of times without Lasix and he's only run once with Lasix. So, and he hasn't bled. So, uh, you know, I, I would, I would throw out that last race and think he's got a great shot. Yeah. He, he's, a good, yeah, but, he, we know he's, we know he's good enough. We know he's fast enough on numbers with those 99, one Oh three buyers um, early, la early this year. So, uh, you know, I'm going to, like I said earlier, guys, I'm going to be surprised if Taba gets beat, but if he does, Messier is one of the horses that potentially could do exactly that. Yeah. In fact, Taba could run a good race and get beat by Messier if he, because he's the kind that could run lights out in here if he doesn't bleed. Uh, I mean, he's just capable of seven furlongs of being a really, really good horse. So, um, you know, it might be tough for a stable mate to run him down, um, but there's a lot of ifs in there. Of There's a lot of ifs, and it's been eight months since Messier ran uh, uh, any sort of race at all, and that was in April in the Santa Anita Derby. At least Taba, you know, kind of came back into form this fall with recent races, but Messier's last good race was in April when Taba took care of him in the Santa Anita Derby. I know he's been, I know Messier has given Taba a, a good battle in the mornings. It's two completely different situations, morning from afternoon. And I think Tabe is just simply a better horse than Messier. Well, yeah, be and I will mention. 
I was just saying on the mornings, Taba definitely is training more aggressively now than he was earlier. I mean, he still doesn't wow you in his workouts, but he's not doesn't look really lazy like he used to. He he's in the bridle and he maintains the lead. You know, he stayed in front of under the stars throughout that workout and galloped out a little stronger. So yeah. I mean he before he would just like just sit there you know, right next to the horse and just kind of, you know, just gallop along and without much of an effort. And then the riders would have to really get into him to get him to, to go. But um, these recent workouts, he doesn't need nearly as much encouragement. So, I mean, I, I definitely think maybe he's maturing mentally, which is going to help him definitely going forward. All right. Well, it's going to be a great race. Really looking forward to watching it. And um, we'll move to the last race of the sequence. It's the American Oaks, a grade one mile and a quarter on the downhill turf. Purse of 300000 also for three-year-old fillies. And Brad, where are you at here? Well, the three grass races in the late pick five are all extremely deep and competitive, and that includes the grade one American Oaks. Um, I ended up on number nine, Salima for no better reason than I have to pick somebody in this race, but this is a spread race to me. Salima's trained by Chad Brown, who has won this race twice recently with New York shippers who ran in the winter memory stakes last time out. I like uh, those, the names I do not have in front of me at the moment, but at any rate, Salima's lightly raced. Um, actually those two horses that Chad Brown won with were competitive ideas in 2018 and duopoly in 2020. So Salima has the same pattern as a couple of previous Chad Brown trained American Oaks winners. Um, she can finish. She's lightly raced. Her best races are still in front of her. And this race has been on the docket for winter memory since the middle of November when she came out of the of the winter memory. So I think that she's as good as any in this field. Uh, the six horse, I'm probably going to butcher her name. My Sensine exits the best race. She kind of split the field and the Breeders' Cup building mare turf. This is a class drop for her because she's running against three-year-olds only. And then number five, Bell Street Bridie is fascinating to me because she dominated a soft field of older fillies and mares in her U.S. debut and she can go a mile and one quarter. She is kind of an unknown factor. I don't know if this European import can run two alike um, and reproduce her U.S. debut. But if she does, she's as good as any. So um, kind of a long-winded way of saying I like no real creative, um, you know, selections in this race. I like Salima, Miss Encine, and Bell Street Bridey. And I'll be using all three of them at least in the pick five. Okay, Salima will be well-backed and uh, looked very impressive in her last race. Chris, where are you at? You're on mute just in case you don't realize. Yeah, thanks for uh, (laughs) signaling me on that. yeah, I think Ms. Ansan is the one to beat. She's the class. She's the best horse. But um, I think she's going to get bet off of that coming out of the Breeders' Cup. So I don't think she's a good win bet in here, but she's probably, you know, the most likely winner. And she's not going to be odds on or anything. So I'll lean on her in the pick five. But I like a long shot in here. I mean, a potential ultra bomb type. I 
the kind I can't pass up uh, in these, you know, route two-turn route races, especially go at a distance like a mile and a quarter. Anything could happen. It's so trip and pace dependent, especially when there's no total standout. So I like the four Oakhurst. To me, you know, outside Miss Song, the other horse, you know, she her best races are as good as any of these horses, and she's been winning races um, her entire career. She she won early on. Her last couple don't look too good, but um, you know, the race at Colonial, she was in post thirteen, really had no chance. Her last race. Yeah, it wasn't that great, but I think she wants longer. You know, cutting back to a mile probably didn't help her. And um, now she heads out west, and I think the East Coast turf horses in general are better than the West Coast horses. Um, you know, she was in the Chad Brown barn, so there's, uh, you know, I don't think going to D'Amato is uh, an improvement, but, you know, out west, Phil D'Amato does really well. I think this horse is going to love the mile and a quarter and like I said, I think her best races, if she can run back to them, are as good as anything else, anybody else's run, other than the than Miss Ansan. And so, and that horse is 30 to 1 in the morning line. If you can get that, to me, that, there's a lot of value there in a race that I think it has a shot to win if it gets a good trip. I like it. Uh, it's that is one of my uses, not one of the the highlighted uses. Um, I will, I will. Um, uh, I'm going deep in this race, but I finally landed a f- five minutes before we started this pod. I landed on Skims as my top pick. Her two best races were her longer last two races. One was at a mile and five sixteenths at Kentucky Downs. She has plenty of space into this race. Her figures are. A comparable to anybody's here and i think she should be a price and i i uh, she's she, she's right there on the speed figures so so she's absolutely an include and um i i i, I will go i will go deep i do like Oakhurst. i i also like salima um i'm on the fence with bell street brighty and mizzen scene um but I will also definitely be using Rhea Moon, who's improved in every race. And um, the other one that I'm definitely going to be using is Lady Clementine, who's uh, my 30 to 1. But I'm also using Oakers. So so if I'm alive going to this last race, uh, big balloon possibilities. I'm glad that you mentioned Rhea Moon, Scott. And, and I got a little story to tell you about her. She was really kind of going nowhere in her in her U.S. career. They, you know, brought her over here as a maiden, trained by Demato, and it took her four U.S. stars to, you know, three stars to break her maiden. And her, Juan Hernandez has been riding her all along. Hernandez and Demato got together and said, "Look, I think we've been riding this filly wrong. I think that we need to just anchor her early, take her back to the back of the field, and let her make a run." Well, look what has happened in two starts since then she dominated a one other than, and then she came right back and did it again in a grade three at one mile. It's a big stretch out from a mile to a mile and one quarter. But now that they have determined her preferred style of running, take back finish. This is a, this is a new Philly. Um, and she has a big chance at a nice fat price of eight to one. Yeah. And she won that race with a hand ride after checking on the first turn. Uh, I thought she looked really good, and 
you know, I, I don't see why she can't run another one. Yeah, these kind of races, they're, you know, typically there's not a lot separating them in terms of, you know, ability, and it's all about the trip. So I'm always inclined to lean towards price horses and try to beat the favorite in these kind and, you know, in, t- in general. So to me, you know, and also keep in mind, this is a group one. So a lot of these connections would be happy just to hit the board with their, you know, mare and get group one black type on it. So, um, you know, just factor that in as well. Okay, well, we, we, we've run past the hour mark. Uh, so before we say goodbye, I would just like to ask you guys, um, I know Brad has gone over some of the other uh, uh, races. Uh, do either of you have a spot play earlier in the card that uh, you, you really like? Yeah, I actually do, Scott. It's, in, it's in, early in the morning on the um, West Coast, 11 o'clock first post time. And in race number one, there's a, a – a European import by the name of I'm a gambler who I I think just lays over this field. Um, And he's not the morning line favorite. It's the Mathis mile grade two for three-year-olds at a mile on turf. Balnikoff is the two to one favorite, but number three, I'm a gambler. They purchased this gelding for a million dollars at a European auction in recent weeks. He has trained lights out. He's won four of his last five starts. He, he finished in front of a good field, Last time out in a stakes race, Flavian Pratt was aboard him for his December 18th workout, loved him. Um, I think the I'm a Gambler has a chance not only to win the Mathis Mile at 5-2, to two, but also to possibly develop into a top turf miler in California. So race number one, number three, I love the name, I like the horse, I'm a Gambler. All right, Chris, you got anything? Well, I really like that same horse. I'm a gambler. I'm just afraid he's going to get, you know, pounded to oblivion. Actually, the the horse in this race we just talked about, same connections shipped over that, um, uh, what's her name, Bell Street Bridey. Uh, they brought that horse over, and she, you know, ran huge right off the plane. This horse, a couple things that I, I watch some of his races. First of all, he breaks sharply consistently, which I really like in these Euros, because a lot of times they come over here and they just don't break very well. But this horse breaks alertly, um, consistently. He's actually won on around the left-handed turn, so he can handle the left-handed turn. And um, he's a trainer that runs him a lot. I mean, he, he would run him like every week sometimes. Um, but if you look at his form, when... He wheeled him back in a in a week or less. Uh, he didn't do very well. But whenever they gave him like three weeks or more, he, he basically was a win machine. So, you know, he's coming in fresh for connections that have um, take, you know, similar, have one with a similar horse right off the plane. And um, like Brad said, he's got, he's been training well since he got here. So he's a seven furlong horse there, but I think a mile is, perfect for him here and I agree uh, he might be it's a lot of money to pay for a gilding um, but it makes sense because in Europe you know they pile weight on the horses and there's just not the purses aren't that big for a horse like this so um, you know some of his wins were with you know carrying lots of weight too um, so yeah he's really good I just 
don't know if the price is going to be worth playing, but he's definitely an interesting horse in that first race. I'm a gambler. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Uh, truth is, I won't be surprised if he starts as the favorite um, when word starts getting out about how well he's doing and his European form, which is very, very good. So he could be short, guys. Uh, he's 5-2 to two on the morning line. That's my out. If he goes off at 6-5, to five, I'll probably be sitting back and just watching him. <laughs> well, that, that's not a bad thing to do uh, in, in sunny California on the day after Christmas. So with that, I'd like to thank our guest, Brad Free. Brad, thanks for handicapping this great pick five with us. Oh, you're quite welcome, Scott and Chris. I uh, had a good time. Looking forward to a big day of racing on Monday, day after Christmas at San Diego. It's one of the biggest days of the year in California, and a day that I've always looked forward to since I was a little kid. So thanks for having me on, guys. All right. That will conclude show number 205 of the Sport of Kings pod. Good luck at Santa Anita, and please enjoy. The Brooklyn Boogaloo Blowout. I'll see you on the Portland Kings. Cheers. Giddy up.